0: Father, thank you for Lucy for her mind and her heart that hunger after you and your word. We love that, uh, the training she's receiving even now at Simonitas. And we pray your spirit would come and speak powerfully and authoritatively through her. Pray right now for just the function of your spirit, Lord, mm-hmm. to take what she's prepared and all the thinking and praying that she's done in advance. And distill it in such a way that it lands into each and every one of our hearts, minds, spirits, soul, will. Lord, we expect to hear from you this evening through your word, by your spirit, as we speaks to you. So come, in Jesus' name, Amen. I am ever so slightly boasting in weakness this evening. Uh, I came off my moped this morning on uh, the way to preaching the 10.30, sort of splattered onto the New King's Road, um, and got a lift to the 10.30 in an ambulance. So all fine, no breaks, Um, but if I'm honest, I'm a bit sore and a bit bruised and a bit tired, so um, the Lord is hopefully going to fill in the gaps (laughs) where I'm feeling a bit... Uh, weary, But, um, yeah, one of the more elaborate uh, arrivals of church that I've done. I invited the paramedics to stay. They said no. Um, but we can pray for them later. Um, I just said to them, apparently the first thing I said when um, everyone ran out to get me off the road was, I must go and preach. We're going to get you off the street, Um And, uh, do you know what, I might go to handheld. Is that annoying? No. Uh, tapping, okay. Um, and I actually have to put my glasses <laughs> I'm not really woozy enough. Okay, this is
1: going really well.
0: Maybe I'll go in my house. Just leave. Thank you. Can yeah, I take this it off? It's really annoying. Yeah. Um, I need to just have to. Chat amongst yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible, thing, isn't it? Ooh. Oh, is that okay? Uh, oh, we'll no. Go. No, that's right. We we'll, we'll fix that. Oh. I have being attacked by wire you've got my back Thanks. got it. done okay that's better okay settling in um yeah so apparently I was just obsessed with going to preach and I kept telling everyone that I really like Jesus um so <laughs> that might be why they were like you know what we're like um but yes, so okay. Um, as Tim said, my name is Lucy. For those of you who don't know me, um, I used to work here um, at the church. I worked there for a couple of years. Um, Tim's a great boss, so is God. And um, and before that, I worked at a think tank called the Centre for Social Justice. Um, and they are based in Westminster, and their job is to kind of help politicians in the UK understand the experience of the poor in the UK, the poorest and the most marginalised, and help uh, the government to understand that there's a better way of doing things. Um, and I currently work. At, I study part-time, and I currently work as a policy consultant for Justice and Care, which is a charity that works to break the grip of slavery uh, in the UK and across the world, and they are amazing. I can really highly recommend looking them up. They've got, uh, they have got—they just do incredible work. So I've had a bit of an interest in this idea of justice um, across my career, and tonight we're going to look at this chapter in Nehemiah, chapter 5, which is on page 469, um, and kind of look at what... What Nehemiah does in, in almost a sort of masterclass in what it looks like to bring justice. So um, let's read the passage and then uh, we we'll dive in. So we're reading the whole of Nehemiah 5 from the first one. Just give you a second. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as the rest of our people and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we've bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what, are you, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their houses and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the twentieth year of King Attaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his thirty-second year, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. I'm gonna pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive. I pray that you would use me this evening, Lord, to speak truth, to speak of your power, and that we would leave change tonight. Thank you, Lord, that each one of us is a work in progress. But you are the master builder. You're kind, you're good, you're gracious, and you love us. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. In your name, amen. okay so tonight i want us to look a bit at the way nehemiah responds to the injustice around him and then think about what we can learn we see that first nehemiah listens then he acts and he perseveres he listens he acts and he perseveres but before we get into all of that i want to just spend a moment talking about what we mean when we talk about justice what is it what's it got to do with god and what's it got to do with us and as a side note, I just want to thank Matt Patterson and Ollie Charkham and Dave Whitworth, who's not here, um, who kindly, really kindly sent in material from their excellent justice course, which they've prepared over the last few um, months and maybe even years. Um, it's been really fantastic and it's a, it's a course that's developed for... Life groups like ours. So, if you want to learn more about that, hymn or about that, I'm sure um, Matt and we um, will uh, chat to you. But thank you so much because they, uh, they've thought so deeply about this subject and it's really blessed me in this preparation for this talk. So, what is justice and what has it got to do with God? I wonder if for some of us, what springs to mind when we think about justice is God as judge, kind of black billowing robes and a gavel. Do you know that they don't have gavels in English courts? learned that the other day. It's just They just don't exist, it's American. Um, (laughs) Judging, judging people. And whilst there will be a day of judgment, the Bible's very clear about that, I wonder if this somehow distracts us from a deeper understanding of justice. Justice is at the centre of God's heart. Justice is part of God's character. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So to know God is to know the one who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness. That true concept of justice comes from God's own heart. So when we try to understand justice, we're actually trying to understand better who God is. And as we begin to understand better who God is, we start to understand what justice means. And not only does God exercise them, he delights in them. And we see this in the commandments that God gives to Moses, kind of shaping the society that the Israelites were to become, and it's ensuring that it's a society of justice. Isaiah 30, 18 says, the Lord is a God of justice. And Isaiah 61, 8, God himself says, I, the Lord, love justice. So we read these verses and we see that justice matters to God. But what do we actually mean by that word justice? It often comes alongside righteousness in the Bible, justice and righteousness. And what these words are getting at is this concept of rightness, things as they ought to be, and setting right what is wrong, taking action to restore what is wrong and make it right. And what does that mean specifically? Well, we see in the Bible all over the place, but for example, Jeremiah 22, 3, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. The previous king did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. These are the wrongs that need to be righted. The biblical call to justice is very closely linked with the poor. Gary Hagen, who runs the International Justice Mission, IJM, who we support here as a church, explains the sin of injustice is defined in the Bible as the abuse of power by taking from others the good things that God intended for them, namely their life, liberty, dignity, or the fruits of their or love or their labour. It's kind of been long argued by theologians that God's bias is towards the poor. And justice doesn't just talk about punishing the wrongdoer, it sets a vision of the world where people flourish and communities flourish and the environment flourishes. Mike Kelly at the International Bible Society says, we engage in justice as those who reflect the very God of a good creation. To be truly human then is to do justice. In so doing, We reflect our creator. So we're created to bring justice. It's kind of in our DNA to hanker after it. Um, as I was preparing this talk I was reminded of um, this kind of memory of when I was about five years old and I was in our school nativity play I was the donkey Um, and uh, we had to make our own um, masks that was literally the extent of the costume was a paper mask Um, and I was so proud of mine I loved it I think it was like one of the first times I really discovered the color gray you know when you're just like this is an exciting color Um, and so I had my mask (laughs) and I loved it And we were leaving the school um, at the end of the play, at the end of the nativity. I did actually go on to be Mary a few years later, I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, um, And I came across um, a boy who was a year above me, um, and he had special educational needs, and he was really badly bullied at our school just for being different. And my heart had kind of always broken a little bit. And uh, the only thing I could think of was to give him my donkey mask. That was my response to the injustice of his, his experience of bullying. Um, I didn't think I must act justly and go and give him my mask, but there was an innate sense within me of there is a wrong that needs to be put right here. Um, who knew that it was delivered through a docket mask? Um, yeah, just a sense of that wrongness needing some rightness. So we have this God of justice and then Jesus comes on the scene. And this is really basic theology, but if the heart of God is for, is for justice and Jesus is fully God then Jesus' heart is as full of justice as God's. It's in his manifesto. It's what he declares when he walks into the temple. And he quotes Isaiah saying, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And Jesus did all these things. In healing the sick, he brought justice, restoring their social status. He was for the poor. He spent time with the marginalised. He dignified them with his attention. If God is wholly just, so is Jesus. And if Jesus brought justice and we are called to follow his example in all things, then we should be people who bring justice too. People who right wrongs, who restore rightness when there is wrongness. So how do we go about this? Well, let's see what we can learn from Nehemiah. So Nehemiah listens, he acts, and he perseveres. Verse six, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. The first thing Nehemiah does is listen. He hears the plight of the poor in his community. He hears it and it makes him angry. And I wonder if as Christians we sometimes think that we shouldn't get angry. Like we should immediately jump to the kind of understanding bit and the forgiveness bit because that's the Christian thing to do. And yes, God forgives. And yes, God shows grace and mercy. But injustice angers the heart of God. And it should anger us. The Lord says in Isaiah 10, Woe to those who deprive the needy of justice. Righteous anger at the sin of injustice. I look at the many older people who come to the Rise Day Centre, another partner charity of ours here at St Dee's, who are increasingly isolated, in a world that is just leaving them behind. And I get angry. I get like a lump in my throat and my heart just burns. I hear of the experience of men and women and children in modern slavery, just abused and oppressed, and it makes me angry. I read on the news about two women whose faces were beaten to a pulp because they refused to kiss each other on the bus in 2019, and it makes me angry. I have a friend who runs an ethical fashion company and she cannot walk into Topshop or Zara or Miss Selfridge without weeping for the injustice of the fast fashion industry that feeds our greed at the cost of people's health and freedom. And this is an appropriate response. It should make us angry that this week, Zara's factory suppliers have hidden their exploited child laborers in empty cardboard boxes when the auditors come round. She has made those connections. She has acknowledged that she's not one individual divorced from all others with the rights to kind of pursue her fashion sense. She's identified her role in writing that wrong. She's not perfect, her company isn't perfect, and she doesn't have all the answers, but she's listened to injustice. And incidentally, I know there are many of us who love to use fashion as a means of self-expression and creativity, but can it ever be at the expense of other people's self-expression and creativity? No cannot. People ought to be loved, not robbed. So let's copy Nehemiah and listen. Let's educate ourselves on the systems we participate in and the points at which they are unjust. Let's allow ourselves to be troubled by it. Let's not be numb to anger because we don't think it's a very Christian response. If injustice doesn't make us angry, let's ask ourselves Why? And just as a side note, let's not confuse anger with judgment or being judgy. We all get worried about the whole plank in the eye thing. Injustice is injustice and it should make us angry. I picture Jesus at the scene of people about to unjustly stone a member of their community. He's not meek and mild, baby Jesus. In my head I picture fire in his eyes as his anger burns against injustice. Attend to that feeling when your heart burns within you. You may not have noticed it as a response to injustice, but it might be. So Nehemiah listens, he hears it, and he acts. Verse seven, I pondered them in my mind, these things, and then accused the nobles and officials. I called together a large meeting to deal with them. So Nehemiah hears and he gets angry, but he doesn't stay there. Anger is an appropriate, but not a sufficient response to injustice. So what does he do next? He reflects, he ponders, maybe he uses that time to calm down. And then it's time for practical action, because part of this heart for justice that God has is the actual bringing of justice to situations that demand it. It's not simply getting sad at the state of the world, but actually doing something about it. Nehemiah doesn't get angry and go back to work. He acts. He responds to what he hears. And I know this is hard, because the reality is that we live in a world where injustice is everywhere, and where we're really busy people. Nehemiah was busy too, managing a massive building project, juggling all sorts of responsibilities and relationships as a governor. And actually, like we see here in this chapter, some of the injustices we're seeing are not technically illegal, but they're still wrong. The charging of high interest rates in this chapter wasn't illegal, but it wasn't just. A lonely older person left in their house with the TV for company and nothing else is not illegal, but it's unjust. So where do we start? We start with what's right in front of us. In our work situations, do we know where our products are sourced? Do we know how people are employed in our company's supply chains? If we don't, let's find out. Shopping habits, do we know who made our clothes and how? If not, let's find out. In your friendships, in our friendships, is there someone facing an injustice? Every single person in this room has some kind of influence because God will partner with you to see justice, to right the wrongs, if you have eyes to see and you're willing to act. Let's ask God what action against injustice looks like in our own lives. Let's ask God for eyes to see, ask his Holy Spirit for conviction in areas where we're just not seeing it. Just another little side note, Nehemiah says to the people, what you are doing is not right. I think that's a hard sentence for us to say these days because in our culture that's often translated as I hate you, like just to challenge someone is to say I don't like you or I hate you and we've become this kind of culture that can't stand up against things. Let's not play by those rules, let's act against injustice because it's actually our job as Christians to do that. But as well when we act, when we act against injustice, we step into the slipstream of God himself and his power. Look at what happened with Nehemiah, verse 12. He said, this is not right. And all the people say, we will do as you said. Mm. That's absolutely extraordinary. And then they basically, verse 13, have a praise party. They all kind of worship the Lord. I mean, that is amazing. I'm not saying it's always going to be that easy when we stand up against injustice. But the God of justice is on our side. We do not act alone. When I was at the Centre for Social Justice, I was in charge of the work on modern slavery, researching into modern slavery and human trafficking. And one of the headline recommendations from our report was for a new modern slavery act in Parliament. And we took this recommendation to number 10 and the Cabinet Office and the Home Office and to various advisors who pretty much all said, you are not going to get this act through. I sat in number 10 with David Cameron, one of his, his special advisors, who said, you will never in a million years have a new Modern Slavery Act. And in 2015, the Act passed. It was made an Act of Parliament. It was the first piece of dedicated anti-slavery legislation since William Wilberforce's bill 200 years earlier. And that was the result of God just opening door after door after door of what we were told was going to be impossible. I remember sitting in meetings where people said, you're never going to get legislation to show transparency in supply chains, so basically getting businesses to disclose what they're doing to make sure their supply chains are slave free. Now you'll see it on every website of every major company in the UK, they have a modern slavery statement at the bottom. I was told that was never going to happen in a million years. And that was, you know, our funders were Christians. The barrister I worked with was a Christian. That was just prayers and prayers and prayers and a God of justice saying, this is my work. This is going to happen. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> because this is a journey. I don't want anyone here sitting here feeling condemned. It's a refining. Isaiah 1.17, I love this. says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Learn to do right. God wants to patiently teach us if we're willing to listen. He will not condemn us for being slow to the party. He awaits with grace for us to turn to him and say, Lord, show me what breaks your heart and help me to fix it. It's a journey. Learn to do right. So Nehemiah listens and he acts and he perseveres. Verse 15, out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. You remember from the reading, there's just all this kind of unjust behaviour and this self-indulgent behaviour. And he says, out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. This is not a one-off activity. But we're called to live our lives in a rhythm of justice. Drawing close to the heart of God is drawing close to the epicentre of justice. It's the very heart of Christian life because it's the very heart of God. Justice is for life, not just for Facebook petitions. Nehemiah doesn't have that one meeting and then forget about the justice he's called to bring. He continues working it into a rhythm of his work and life. He doesn't place a heavy burden on people through unfair taxation. He doesn't indulge at the expense of others. It's a pattern he cultivates and we shouldn't be surprised if the more that we understand and get to know god the softer our hearts become for issues of justice and that's been my experience over these last years i've not really prayed lord make me more just but as i've got to know god more over the years spending time in his presence particularly in times of absolute brokenness and i've brought him my burdens And I've allowed him to swap my heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And that's a process, because I harden my heart all the time. My passion for justice, and particularly you might pick up, that my anger at the wrongs around me has grown. If the promise is that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more like him we become, let's not be surprised if injustice becomes something we cannot ignore. And we persevere because one day justice will rain down like a mighty river. One day, all will be put right. He who sits on the throne will say, I am making everything new. Let's usher that in now, because we know how the story is going to end. We know know how this turns out. We win. Let's be the ones who give the oppressed A foretaste of what it's going to be like when the kingdom of God comes. Michael Lloyd, who's principal of Wycliffe Hall, says, The new day is dawning, and we are called to be people of the light now. And he goes on to say this, and it's it's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's so beautiful. He says, How much do we long for that day? How much do we pray and wait expectantly? For the moment that Christ returns and this world is made right. I wonder if we can measure our desire for justice and our levels of compassion by how eagerly we await that day. Do we long for the appearing of Christ and the putting right of the world's wrongs? Or have we made our peace with the current compromised state of the world? Have we become so inured to the injustices of our world because our lifestyles are so dependent on them that we harbour no hatred of them or anger against them in our hearts? The amount we long for the appearing of Christ is probably the amount we oppose evil and injustice. If we want to know how much compassion we have, we we merely have to ask ourselves how much we long for the coming of the one who will heal all hurts, and bind up the brokenhearted. How desperate are we for Jesus to come back? How uncomfortable, how heartbroken are we for the injustice that we see around us? And it's not enough to say, I don't know where to start. Let's start, let's educate ourselves. Let's read about and get inspired by heroes of the faith who've gone before us, Wilberforce, Fry, Shaftesbury, Nehemiah. Let's pray for opportunities in our jobs to speak up for the rights of those who don't have a voice. I just think that if we're, in, if we're, in, if we're working in places where we don't know if the people involved in those companies are being treated justly, We are colluding with injustice. Let's think about the things we buy and where we give our money. And there's so many resources out there to help us. Justice is something we do in relationship with God. God calls us as his children to follow him in doing justice. And as we respond, we respond with him and we respond through him. And we get to know more of who he is. I don't want us to leave here thinking, oh, I've got loads of things to do now. It's not about doing loads of stuff. But it's about getting to know the very heart of God and responding to it. And I'm afraid this will mean that we can't help but do justice. Micah 6, verse 8, my favourite verse in the Bible. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god. I'm going to pray. God, we thank you for your heart of justice. We thank you for your heart of compassion, that you long, you long for your children to be set free from oppression. And Father, we're sorry when we haven't heard those cries. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and work in each of our hearts now. Show us that one thing that starting place. We pray for your conviction, which is beautiful and gentle and true. We stand against condemnation that is shaming and untrue. We pray, Lord, you would teach us what it means to be people of justice. Ambassadors for you. Examples of what it's going to look like when you restore all things we thank you god that you choose to partner with us these flawed people that's that's incredible to us lord come holy spirit just wonder if there are some of us here where um, there's actually a really specific thing that's coming to mind for you, something that's making your heart race a bit, an area of injustice that perhaps you've seen, um, or something even that you just feel God saying to you now. We want to pray for you.